0: This morning from John's Gospel and chapter 13, I want to speak about the the heart of a servant and uniquely seen in Christ but then seen in others who desire to serve and honour him. So chapter 13 of John's Gospel, we're going to read from verses 1 to 5, and then 12 to 17. John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who in the world he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them of the towel with which he was girded. Verse 12, through 17. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you uh, say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, In the New Testament, and we touched on this briefly in a, um, a Bible study a few weeks back, the word servant is translated slave in the Greek uh, over uh, on 120 or more occasions. And that is what makes this so affecting as seen in Christ. It's the Greek word doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S, and um, I'd say for those wanting to look deeper into this, it is number 1401 in the Strong's Greek Concordance. No doubt because of the connotations of slavery and the sad history of slavery, translators have been loath to use the word slave. Slave. And at a human level, you can understand why. But it carries with it a very precious thought. No doubt the stigma of slavery and all that attached to it and the abolishment of it, thank God. Um, The Translators were searching for other words that would, in some sense, carry the same idea. But there's a difference. There is a distinct difference. The the, the idea of a servant is that you're hired and you're free to go. Not so a slave. A slave is owned. Indeed, right through the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for servant, with a few exceptions, is slave or bonded servant. Bonded servant. Such as in Joshua Uh, Chapter 1 and verse 2, very beautiful. God saying this about his servant Moses. He says, Moses, my slave, is dead. And then in verse 13 of Joshua 1, it says, Remember the word which Moses, the slave of the Lord, commanded you. A slave has no rights of his own. And we'll come to the significance of this in our Christian life He's owned by his master. He serves at the pleasure of his master. And that brings our minds, I believe, to the scripture, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. What a beautiful allusion to the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who paid with his own blood not only For every single individual who comes to him, but for the church, he owns it. It's his. He's the head of the body, the bride. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to our Lord and Saviour. So, what we've read here in John 13, it's on the night of his very betrayal, think of what was going through the mind of Jesus, all that was before him, Gethsemane, obedience to his father, it was on the night of his betrayal, the night of his trial and um, within some 15 odd hours, he's unjustly condemned to death and Barabbas, a murderer, is released instead of Christ and Jesus is crucified. What's so beautiful about this is that the heart of a slave is on display in Christ. His whole attention is directed towards those he loved. He loved them to the end, it says, or... More properly, he loved them completely and utterly. I find that very, very beautiful to think of all that was going and compressed on the mind of Jesus at this very time, and yet his attention is directed only towards those he loved. He loved them to the end. Including Judas. Including Judas. You think about that. I would say this that men will go to hell unsaved, but no one will go to hell unloved. Take that in. <clears throat> the love of Christ was there on display. Towards Peter and John and James and Philip and Andrew and Matthew and so on and Judas. Right at this very time, the plotters, no doubt, were making their last preparations, and inside in the upper room, the disciples, what were they doing? They were arguing and bickering among themselves as to who was to be held to be the greatest. Sad business, that. But Christ was only thinking about them, serving those he loved. He knew what was immediately before him. He says in these verses that we've read, he knew where he'd come from, he knew where he was going. He was going back to the Father. He'd come from the Father and he was going back to the Father but in between was Calvary his sufferings at the hands of men but even more infinitely so suffering at the hands of God as he bore the sin of humanity paid the price he rose from supper picture the scene It's very beautiful. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. I understand that uh, the typical dress was three layers of clothing, so he took off the upper, the outer garment and then the inner garment and he appeared before them in the clothes and the appearance of a slave. began to do the service of a slave. Feet washing, if you understand the the culture of the time, was reserved for the lowest of the lowest slave. I find this intensely beautiful, and our minds are surely led to Philippians 2, And from verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or emptied himself in some versions, taking the form of a slave, doulos. Jesus, taking the form of a slave, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Every stoop, beloved, took him lower and lower and lower. Humiliation after humiliation he who was God, who created all things and sustains all things, became a slave. The question is raised there what did he empty himself of? Did he lay aside his deity for a time? That is a deadly error, and some have asserted that and keep asserting it that he divested himself at that point of his divinity. Beloved, he could never be anything else but what he was. But I believe that for a time he laid aside the prerogatives and the privileges of deity and took on the form of a slave. We need to be clear about that because error as to the person of Christ can be deadly and it's a slippery slope when we start intruding our human minds into disallowing his equality with the Father. To me, that is one of the most cardinal things at the same time. He he refused to exercise, as it were. His divinity was held, as it were, behind the veil, appearing to faith, but certainly not to unbelief. So I believe he laid aside this emptying, becoming a slave, is that he laid aside the very privileges and prerogatives of deity. And then instead of that, he suffered the rejection, the humiliation, a lamb led to the slaughter. Mark 10 and verse 43 says, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your slave. And whoever of you desires to be first of all shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, and I find this very, very beautiful. It's, this is Jesus Himself speaking. He says, "Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many." So we see Him stooping, lays aside His garments. He takes a, he takes water and pours it into a basin. <clears throat> And girded with a towel, he began to wash the filth from the feet of sinful men, but men that he loved. I wonder what was going through the disciples' minds. You picture the scene. Why hadn't they done this? Why had they not washed the feet of Jesus and the feet of one another? You know, the truth is that people who are debating who is going to be the greatest do not have the mind of a slave. It's a privilege. It is a privilege to serve. So I say the truth is that people debating who's the greatest are not of a mind to do the service of a slave. They're not, but the God of the universe in the form of a slave stooping in love to wash our feet. The verse of the hymn came to mind as I was preparing the service. It says, oh, how I love him, how I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all, the great creator became my saviour. What condescension. Listen to this verse. What condescension bringing us redemption that in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight, God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to win, to woo, to save my soul. Wonderful words. Oh, how I love him, how I adore him. The service of a slave. He came to Judas. <clears throat> He came to Judas, picture the scene, the saviour of the world stooping in love before his betrayer and gently washing the filth from the feet of his betrayer, drying them with a towel, the tenderness of it, it's all love beloved in action. And yet Judas's heart was like a stone. It's almost as if love was making this final appeal. Judas, do you know how much I love you? I'm prepared to stoop at your very feet. In tender love. <clears throat> love was rejected. Judas is in hell. didn't need to be. Christ stooping, bending lower and lower and lower before before his betrayer. You can hardly imagine it. Come to verse 12 again and we'll read that again just to get the link. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you, uh, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. <clears throat> he wants to know what effect it's had on them. Will I emulate his example? <clears throat> Will we Will we stoop in love to serve one another just as Christ stooped in love to serve us? You know, selfishness wants to be served. But love in humility, I believe, delights to serve. In a certain sense, we are saved to serve. Precious privilege. <clears throat> Christianity, beloved, is not optional. Once we're owned by Christ and He's paid the price to deliver my soul and He's bought me with a price, Christianity is not optional. You can't play fast and loose with it. Oh, I'll come to church when I want to come to church, I've got other priorities. That's not the attitude of a slave. That is not the attitude of a slave. A slave is owned. He's possessed. There's nothing more unifying, I believe, in the body of Christ than meeting with one another and serving one another in love and humility. I want to make a reference to some other scriptures before we close that point up the moral beauty of this character of service. It shone uniquely in Christ. He's the great example for service. Then we come to Romans 1 and verse 1. It says this, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. You say, I thought he was an apostle. Yes, he goes on to speak about his apostleship. First of all, he acknowledges who owns him. I believe in saying that, he's also saying that I was once owned by Satan. And we can identify with that. There was a time when we served Satan. But now we delight to serve our master. Philippians 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy... Slaves of Jesus Christ. Very beautiful to think of Paul beginning this wonderful epistle of the Philippians, in which he speaks of Christ emptying himself and becoming a slave. So he identifies with Jesus. Titus 1 and verse 1 again, Paul, a slave of God. James 1, now this is very interesting. James 1 and verse 1. James, a slave of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You think about that. The half brother of Jesus, calling himself a slave to Christ. No pride there. Don't you know who I am? I'm the half brother of Jesus. As if that would add more authority, no, he surrenders himself totally to the saviour. Jude, exactly the same, half-brother of Jesus, a slave of Jesus Christ. Peter's the same. Peter's the same. What about you and me, beloved? <clears throat> Are we ready to surrender? Christianity is not optional. I'll just do what I want to do. If there's something else more important than uh, meeting with the Lord's people, that's what I'll do. The language, you know, in contemporary Christianity is anything but slave language. Language about liberation health wealth independence fulfilling your dream and so on that is not Paul's language it is not Paul's language I'm crucified with Christ I love that scripture I'm crucified with Christ and no longer live I but Christ lives in me I think we'll find that the most liberating experience for the Christian is when we surrender wholly to him to become Christ's slave. I know there's more. We're sons of the living God. We're heirs. We've been adopted. Precious truths in themselves, but you've got to start somewhere. Have I surrendered to Christ? I think it was Oswald Chambers who said, The passion of Christianity is that I deliberately sign away my own rights and become a slave of Jesus Christ. Until I do that, he said, I do not begin to be a saint. Beloved, I just hope that this has attracted your heart. I I feel the need personally of the challenge... Um, but it's a it's a, it's a, um, it's a wonderful privilege to be taken over by Christ to serve him in that connection and at that level I have to confess I feel inadequate that's a confession but I want to serve and honour him why? Because it's the compulsion of his love. That's what it is. This is not an arbitrary exacting thing. He loved us into loving him. And love, I believe, delights to serve the one who loved us so intensely that it even stooped that low to wash the feet of sinful men Including Judas. Beloved, if you are here this morning and you have not got a link with Christ, I pray before God that you will realize the imperativeness. Two men nailed on either side of Jesus both saw him, both were in proximity to him, both observed his meekness, both observed his character. Both observed the, uh, the um, his image, his visage, marred, it says, more than any man. They both had that. One cried out for forgiveness and Jesus said to him, what did he say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. The other cursed him, scorned him. Where is that man? There's two destinations, heaven and hell. We don't like talking about hell. You know, Jesus spoke more about hell in the Gospels than he did about heaven. You realise that? He spoke more about hell in the Gospels than he did about heaven. Because he didn't. his love was of such intensity that he did not want one person to go there. Actually, hell was preserved for Satan. Men will take themselves there simply because they resist the love of the Saviour. The greatest sin, I believe, I I came to many, many years ago, the greatest sin there is is to sin against love. And the greatest love in the universe is the love of Christ. May God touch our hearts this morning for his name's sake.